Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. With me is my co-host, Ray. Hello. And Robert. Oi. And my name's Eric. We have lots to go over this particular week. Uh, there was tournament action in Denmark, in St. George's, England, uh, Lambton, Michigan, which I had to look up on the map where that was, as was Wichita, Kansas. But all eyes and ears were in Seattle as Games Workshop started their 2022 tournament circuit, uh, the first one of the new year, and started off with a whole bunch of reveals. So uh, start with the good stuff here, guys. Uh Chaos Space Marines getting some love. What do you guys think of the new models? Oh, you mean it's Codex Cultist, right? Well, that's an interesting thing you bring that up. So, yeah, what did they get, first of all? Well, from what I was able to catch, it is several different kinds of cultists now, instead of just the one generic cultist. Um, and... I mean, after that, I honestly just kind of tuned out because it was a whole bunch of Chaos Space Marines and it was only cultists. The thing I was waiting for was, where is Demon Angron? Where is he? <laughs> He's cleverly hidden somewhere. Um, Ray, what are your thoughts? Uh, it, it was kind of neat to see, although I was kind of laughing because leading up to this, we've seen all these things where cultists or, or things like cultists have been very limited to where you can only take one per unit of various power armored unit. Whereas this almost makes me think that they're preparing it to be a rather heavy cultist army kind of setup because I mean what they do, we got um you got cultists. You've got other cultists. <laughs> There's like, what, three or four different kinds of cultists? Ranging from basic to I'm almost spawn. Yeah, it is. It is definitely nice to see they're giving some variety because having the one generic cultist, it's not flavorful very much at all. Unless you're playing Black Legion, and then, well, where's Abaddon? You have to play Abaddon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys. I really like the new Possessed models. Those things look awesome. Yes. Um, that's, that's, to me, is why you play Chaos, and why I think I hate Horus Heresy so much, because I want to play something that looks like that. And instead, I, you, they have the Mark Threes with the bucket heads. And I'm like, okay, I'm not paying extra for this crap. So I love the new Possessed. They're much cooler. They don't look like Halloween costumes anymore. I agree with, yeah, okay, first of all, I have major buyer's regret because you know how many like conversions of cultists I have in my closet right now just waiting to come off the shelf so I can play my Chaos Army? Now I'm like, oh, another new cultist kit, and they look totally different. Eh, okay. But then you've got basically the mutants, which, yeah, I know, they've been kicking around the Forge World books for a while. But, um, and then they got, yeah, what are basically greater mutants, which are, I think are alluded to look almost like spawn. We don't have any stats to these things. I am getting a little concerned is, are we going back to a Chaos Space Marine Codex where there are no Chaos Space Marines in it? Well, when you actually put it into perspective, um, 
with the removal of all of the world, like I know it was only maybe two world eaters data sheets. That was Karn and the berserkers from the codex. It just means, well, that's two spots that we can make new data slates. What are we going to make? Well, cultists are easy, but at the same time that can lead to some really fancy new cast space Marine units, which like, I think it was in one of the recent articles that they showed off. They showed off a Hellbrute with a Thunderhammer. Yeah, that's not new. I didn't. What's? I didn't really click it close. I look at the Hellbrute and I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. I didn't pay attention too closely what equipment they had, and then. But yeah, it's um, it's the Hellbrute that's coming out of the new Combat Patrol for Chaos Space Marines. Yeah, that block looks interesting. That one, I didn't look much into it myself yet, because, again, the only chaos that I'm playing, big stompy robots. Um, but looking at it, it's um, a Dark Apostle, um, a handful of actual Chaos Space Marines, and then I think one, two, three, four, five Havocs? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, so it's a one unit of ten regular space marines. Um, the Dark Apostle with his two little helpers, five havocs, and then a hell brute with um a hammer for a hand. Yeah, so this yeah, is the this this is the multi part hell brute kit that everybody forgets exists because it was out for like a month and then it went to direct sales only. It actually has a fair wow. number of weapon choices. It's not just the I'm going to have a multi-melta and then a power fist with tentacles coming out my armpit. I mean a scourge. <laughs> you, uh, you, you look at that model from Dark Vengeance and tell me if that looks like a scourge or just tentacles coming out of an armpit. <laughs> it is a very tasty, quick way to get into the, the army, though. I think this is probably one of the better start collecting boxes we've seen in a while. So I'm pretty excited about that because it's also all the new models. Those Chaos Space Marines are all new, great-looking sculpts. I'm like, oh, maybe I do need to pick this box up. But now after seeing, I did uh, overlook, excuse me, there is a new Cultist Command unit. So we have another cheap HQ on top of that. Well, I guess he comes with like some sort of blade guard, bodyguard type thing. So I'm like, okay. I'm just getting a little worried, yeah, because yeah, I... A- I know. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, there's been a lot of talk of people wanting to see the the ability to play Trader Guard. Maybe in a way they're kind of, sorta giving us that. Well, funny you mention that because fast forward to the Kill Team release. Hey, guess what's in there? <laughs> um, else? No. Uh, Trader Guard and Phobos Marines. So you get the updated Phobos uh, Expru to give you all kinds of war gear that wasn't readily available. And you get all the various Blackstone Fortress bits and ends to make a um, kill team for Trader Guard. So you can make the Blood Pact out of that. Yep. The one thing that I am happy that Chaos Face Marines got in general is the new Demon Prince. The fact that they showed it off as a um, Age of Sigmar guy originally, 
okay, that's a really cool demon prince as an undivided um, demon prince. Well, now you can actually have truly themed demon princes all in the same box instead of only having the Nurgle one, which is fat and bloated, and then the super generic demon prince. You know, it's funny because I saw the Age of Sigmar one. I was not impressed. I was like, ew, I like the old one better. Of all the models you had to update, you had to screw that one up. And then I saw the, the 40K version with the, you know, mutated backpack and power armor. And, and exactly, you've got five head choices, you know, undivided and one for each Chaos God. I was like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm really excited for this. And there's one other thing, too. It's got a gun. Yes, it actually has the warp bolter now. And it's like, not just like him holding a gun, it's like molded, you know, like so, almost like the old obliterators. I was like, oh, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah. And um, they they did confirm it over the weekend. The boys in red that burn, maim, kill everything are getting their own book. The good old world eaters. It, it just makes me wonder exactly how different are they going to make them because when you think about it the only units that exist for world leaders are Karn the betrayer berserkers and then red butchers like there's nothing really iconic about world eaters outside of those and they're a broken up warband because Karn screwed it all up huh. yeah I, I guess what I was still waiting for was that hint is are we still getting it a separate demons codex and we did get that hint in the very wrong way <laughs> in that and we'll get to that why that means so i thought maybe they're going to lump demons into the cast space ring codex and therefore okay you could actually bring back uh the corn demonkin book where they have like demons and world eaters kind of side by side in the same battalion mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be that way um still don't know also are they going to really hammer down this one legion per army mentality, or does chaos? That's what makes him different. Is that you have multiple legions in the same army? I don't know yet. So there's still a lot um, of questions left. Yeah, and if I may um, just point one thing out when it comes to the world leaders suddenly having their own codex, Thousand Sons were a faction that started off with just Araman and Rubric. Like they didn't even have special Forge World units. It was just one unit that was an elite and then one character. And they've built up a whole you know, codex around them. So I think there's a fair point that while there might be quite a few models that are getting borrowed from, if nothing else, at least the vanilla Chaos Marines book, it's pretty easy to say that, that they can end up with some pretty interesting, unique units. Good point. I, mean, I forgot all about those days. So used to having the codex around. Uh, we also got another preview of Leagues of Photon. So you wanted the buggy? We've got the uh, the motorcycle. Uh, a little different this time around, but um, looks pretty cool. Uh, I'm still on a, still trying to too early to judge at this point, but I'm feeling it. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah. The th- only thing that bugs me about this model is the point of connection (laughs) is one of the back hover pads on a rock. It's tactical rock. (laughs) It's 
it's such a very finite point of connection that one good yank on this model will separate it from its base. And I just go, no, I would rather glue it directly to the base and not deal with not having a floating hovercraft. So yeah. if I may, speaking as someone who's built some of the more recent models, uh, and what comes to mind here is the Heavy Locust Terminator, or um, not Terminators, um, Destroyers. Destroyers? Destroyers. I, I'd say there's a fair chance that that little rock-looking thing that's under the hoverboard might actually be a part of the overall sprue. It might actually, well, the, the, the pieces might actually be, con- that hoverboard might be fully connected to that rock. And it could have a Yeah, no, that, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's it's like the heavy destroyers, where it is a very finite point of connection. It's made to look really cool and hopefully support everything. But when it's something like this, where I expect it to be at least as large as like a half of an orc truck, no, because of the fact that it's base. Well, it's no, ba- I'm telling again. You right I'm now, just ha- this is going to be like the. This is going to be prim- the primary spike size. Again, I'm just theorizing because the Outriders are about half the length of a truck and they're maybe about half the height. So I would rather have something stocky like an Outrider where both wheels touch the base. <laughs> and I don't accidentally sit there with my gorilla hands and go, oh, well, <laughs> there's a free base. Cures also just for transport as well, so yeah. But I mean, it's also squats. People have been asking for squats for forever. Well, so actually, funny. We'll 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 jump ahead then, because squats were released. Uh, they got a new gang for Necromunda, and they look totally different from League of Otan. So I'm going like, okay, are they now different? Are they? I'm very confused. <laughs> I, I I guess squats are planet bound, <laughs> whereas League of Otan went. Nah, man, we're gonna live up in space. Screw this. Well, League of Otan, from what I understand, from the limited um, background and lore that they gave us, are pretty much my dad. And that is, they're very technological, but they also refuse to throw anything out. So they, they scour the universe using all their mass resources to see if they can make my Intellivision from 1983 still work so he can play his old favorite games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's a very good comparison. And I love him for it because we had a lot of good times playing against each other. <laughs> but, uh, dude, dad, there's, there's emulators. There's, there's better graphics out there. Let it go. <laughs> Yeah, it it's very much a. I like the aesthetic of the leagues of Otan because of the fact that I have a humongous bias for playing dwarven factions across almost any game. If I can pretend to be an angry, grumpy little man with a beard, I will do it. But I honestly, because they are a brand new faction to exist, I hope that they don't write their rules into oblivion or write it so far into space that they just become the new 
broken faction of the game, which will most likely happen anyway. We'll see. Um, that wasn't the case when Sisters goes launched. You know, they. I think they kind of have to figure out what they do first before they make them broken. So, you know, but uh, again, again, the track record so far has been the new, the new shiny wins the day. So, I'm curious to see what yeah. happens. But, um, but the other exciting thing that did get revealed over at Seattle, well, during Warhammer Fest, was the next season of competitive stuff. Yeah, how did that sneak up on us? We're almost done with Nachbund. And now we're going to some other big fancy word of Nephilim. Yeah. So I'm just going to read it verbatim and see what your guys' reaction are. The biggest change for the coming season is the way command points work. Armies will start the game with around half as many points as before, so you'll have to be more cunning in how to use them. It's far riskier to spend all your CP on a devastating turn one combo. However, you will also gain extra CP with each battle round, so it'll be easier to react to your opponent's dastardly schemes in later rounds as the game progresses. So we'll start with that big revelation. So Strike Force being 12 CP to start, you now start with 6 and get two per turn? Is that what I'm reading? That's what it sounds um, like. I would like to... Yeah, it, it kind of sounds that way. Because when you look at most armies nowadays, like for instance, Custodes, we get a bonus command point off of Trajan. Then we have ways of refunding another command point every turn, every battle round. And then we also get the Battleforge bonus. So if we start with six, we actually start with seven. And then... At that point, we can potentially go positive on command points throughout the game if we don't have to do anything. Um, on the other hand, you look at something like normal Space Marines, where they front load all of their command points into buying relics, buying um, Warlord traits, buying all of this other stuff. So they usually start with around like seven or something like that, unless they don't spend all of it. But um, in newer books like Chaos Space Marines, not Chaos Space Marines, Chaos Knights, um, there's ways you can actually have a a model be a refund battery, just like the old um, Aquila something for the Imperial Guard. Oh, yeah. oh God, yes. Where it's every time your opponent spends a command point on a five up, you get a command point. And then there was another relic in there that said this one can refund you command points past the restriction, specifically on a relic. So it was interesting, the fact that they had to mention that. So I have a feeling that if we start with half, we will regain at least two every turn. And you also, they'll also initially remove the cap from one command point every battle round. To, uh, you're able to regain like two or three every round. As somebody who likes to null deploy his army as much as possible, I usually spend, you know, good chunk of that means this could be very hard <laughs> uh, moving forward. Oh, wait a minute. You actually play an army on the table? Last time I checked, I only see a unit of 10 Hellions and that's about it. That's, that's exactly it. And um, 
now grant so yeah that should cost me six seven cp to do that so i'm like uh great okay um the thing that i will be most curious about is they cut the command points in half okay uh is there a bonus that they're going to give for not i obviously you have more command points for later but are we starting to potentially work our way back to like eighth edition list building where they give command points sometimes for taking certain detachments? That's going to be an interesting walk back to where now you're only limited to three detachments. Let's see how many detachments you can make. <laughs> well, funny you mention that because actually one of the lists I'm working on is uh, it's primarily an outrider detachment. And before this announcement, I was comfortable taking the three CP hit to not take on the troop tax. So basically it's an HQ with a whole bunch of really cool fast attack. And list that we want to talk about later in the show, if we have time, uh, does something similar with a Vanguard list. Now, because the patrol, battalion, and brigades are the only ones you get a refund with your warlord being in them, suddenly that becomes cost prohibitive if you're only starting with six command points to start with. Just by taking the you know one of those three specialized attachments you're you've cut it in half again you've you're down to a quarter of the starting cp that we're used to playing today that's a hefty hit yeah and it it also makes me realize that hits like they did to again touching on custodes with their you only can use your stratagems x number of times per game Mm -hmm. well that kind of change could potentially be retracted and they change it to where your stratagems just cost more outright because then you start with less. You can't do it as often. Honestly, I think they should have done that change to begin with because, and then as you're, I think what you're getting at is at those costs, you're not going to be doing that stratagem more than once, maybe twice a game. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's where, what the game is kind of now is the game's kind of won on between turns two and three with a big play. And there's only a few players and or armies that can maybe do that on turn four. Now that you have, to, you have this kind of build up to that point. And I'd be curious to see how the game changes. If it really has the desired effect. Cause I really don't think having a lot of command points to start is what's driving alpha strikes. Yeah, because um, when you look at armies like Thousand Sons, where Thousand Sons tend to win out on games of attrition because of the fact that they are so abundant in psychic phases that if their psychic phase goes really well, there's a chance that you might not have more than half of your army left after that psychic phase. And then Thousand Sons can just continue farming their other things. But if, as soon as they have a bad psychic phase... They need to recoup all of that. Well, let's say the bad psychic phase is turn one. It doesn't matter. If it's turn two, it matters a lot more. If it's turn three, if that goes bad, then you probably lost the game because your opponent's going to jump down your throat. Yeah. Given you didn't like explode them. And the, to add on to that, the, I start relooking at some of these armies, which are specific builds, not necessarily factions. What are the, you know, you look at the core armies. 
that are winning a lot of events, how much are they driven by a strong trait, you know, like a chapter tactic or a legion trait or something like that? And how mm -hmm. many are anchored on stratagems? So like Cult of Strife, I think could be dead um, in the next season because it's in Harlequins. They spend CP like it's going out of style. And you don't have a CP to negate something or get you that extra save. You're a T3 one-wound model. Whoopity-doo, you're getting blown off the table. Yeah, and you look at um, Tyranids. Tyranids are built off of a sing, not off of a stratagem, but out of the interactions between a singular unit, the Maliceptor, with the rest of the army because of the fact that the Maliceptor is just a mortal wound bucket. Like it just throws them everywhere. Um, and then at that point, as far as I know, the amount of stratagems that a Tyranid player uses is dictated on how aggressive they want to be. Because most of their things to keep stuff alive is either a psychic action for the minus one strength off of the Maliceptor, or guess what? We're Deep Strike or Hive Tyrant. Everything else is small enough to hide behind a building. <laughs> right. Uh, and what about you, Ray? What are your opinions on this so far? Um, If the warp didn't eat you. <laughs> can you hear me still? Yep. Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, my, my opinion is roughly about the same as yours when it comes to a lot of that. So quit stealing yeah, my it, words. It's <laughs> well maybe I'm actually the changeling and I'm actually you there's still that theory that neither of you exist that... <laughs> well I mean Mr. Um... voice modulators hidden around the house <laughs> I mean at that point then I don't know how to tell um, our friend Talon Rooney, who I met at Dallas Open, that hey, guess what? I'm a clone of Eric. Yeah, um, I'm not actually a person. <laughs> All right, quick, quick uh, memory lane story. This is going to be a new unintended feature here on the show. Way back, but, but do you guys? I don't know if you guys. Well, most of you guys are probably not college football fans, but uh, there was a horrible case where a college football player got catfished in the early days of the. Um, internet that basically he was dating somebody from another school and turns out not only was the person not really dating but uh, wasn't actually a female and you thought who would be stupid enough to fall for that well there was a podcast that was looking for a new host so they put out an open audition and of course what what better way to get ratings in a male-dominated hobby like warhammer than to have a female co-host and she came on and she was very adamant about women's issues and knew a lot about the game. And well, it wasn't real. She, it was a guy using a voice changer <laughs> and they got duped for like 23 episodes. It was really bad. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it, it's, it's been done. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com 
and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Nice little survey for our next topic when it comes to the uh, no, where we, Nephilim uh, book, which we actually don't know when it starts, because I'm thinking, like, uh, when did six months start? January 1st or from LVO? I'm trying to think of when this season actually started. Well, didn't it? Didn't the it's... book come out around the time of LVO? Mm-hmm. So I'd probably say so I, I think I'm I'd thinking say that six months from then. So that'd be like August first is when the new season starts. Most likely August, if not August first, then really late July. Yeah, because also it references that um. Chaos Demons and Astro Militarum are still not going to have their books out by the time this comes out. But it looks like Chaos Space Marines might. Yeah, so what what Robert is alluding to, this book, hence the new Nephilim book, includes secondary objectives for each army in the game, which have been rewritten and balanced against each other. Okay, this is refreshing to me, right off the bat. Some are now harder to score, some are easier, some are completely new. There are even bespoke secondary objectives for armies whose codices have not come out yet, such as Demons and Astra Militarum. So did they rewrite all the other codex-based secondaries, or just the core secondaries? Well, I'm going to take the broken assumption of they probably rewrote some free give me secondaries so like <laughs> stubborn defiance and made so that way it's not a free 15 points when you're able to literally leave a brick of terminators on an objective for the entire game like maybe involving an action or something that is actually really easy to fail um yield no ground for Knights in the old book is a really easy secondary to get because it only really cares about moving, cares about killing stuff, touching objectives, maybe. Like, it's a really easy secondary. And then from there, it's other really easy secondaries to score just needed to be toned down. So that way, people actually have to try playing the game and not just go. All right, I can't outscore them on secondary, so I'm going to only play the primary, and hopefully that gets me the wins. Like, no, play the entire game, darn it. <laughs> right. Well, I actually right, what think, do you think of this? I, I, I actually think that they're going to be rewriting all of them. Or, or if they don't rewrite all of them, I think since they're including secondaries for each army in this, they may make it where you can't use the ones that have been out in the codexes. Well, I do like the rule they had before that you have you can only include one secondary mission outside of Nahmund. So I hope they keep that rule in place. So you don't have, you know, that kind of forces you to take ones for this. And after rebalancing all of them in the same pool, based on what armies they think are going to be out at this time, that gives me some reassurance that these are going to be a little more balanced. Because my big confession is the biggest angst I have about every game is not screwing something up or forgetting a rule is, did I choose the right secondaries for this matchup? 
And I still don't feel like I'm confident in my choices. And now we're getting a whole new set of books, set of new objectives. So I'm like, okay, start over, learn these now. Wow. Yeah. And here I thought your biggest are... thing up was always whether or not you remembered all your models. Oh no, I know I'm gonna fail that every time. So it just <laughs> it yep. just adds to the randomness of the game. Either one rack or one witch. That's what you always miss here. <laughs> but no, it's it's definitely a thought of if they end up maintaining the rule of you only get one secondary from your codex or the one secondary from the book, then at that point you have to pick two other non-faction-specific secondaries, which is nice because the the secondary choices being a failure, for instance, like, oh, it's a five-objective mission. I'm going to not take Stranglehold. Well, that's 15 points you just gave your opponent because not taking Stranglehold on a five-objective mission, if you can actually play it, is a huge detriment and makes you have to play the game that much harder because then they will take Stranglehold and they will most likely get a free 10 points off of you given that you don't blow them off the table in two turns. Yeah, it's going to be a little curious to see what these new missions are going to be like. Um, I feel like a boob because I paid for those brand new tickets that came out at LVO and the, um, the big cards. They're now obsolete in a few weeks. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> you and me both. So that, that's another little uh, issue there as well. That will end it with a happy note at the end. And it even says, now take a deep breath. The points have been removed from the book. So the little extra pamphlet that comes with it with all the points, that's right, they're gone. That's because points updates will be free as of the new season of Warhammer 40,000. You'll be able to get them at the to the app and right here on the community website. So Finally. they better get their app correct. <laughs> yeah. So there was apparently Speaking talk about that actually at the No, I mean it's yeah, they're supposedly they're they recognize the app is not where they want it to be and their goal is to get it ramped up and being not so much the best Basically, they had a clever way of phrasing it, and I'm eluding me right now. Something to the effect of, it'll be so indispensable, you'll never go back to another app again, type basically thing. So I'm like going, okay, we'll add two plus two. <laughs> but um, honestly, I like the app, except for the list building part of it. The The rules mm-hmm. reference is really handy. Yeah, it's yeah, got it is definitely great. Of potential. It just... There's all these little things that need to get fixed, and there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. Like in the List Builder app for Harlequins, you're able to give a Solitaire a Relic and a Warlord Tree. Oh, neat. <laughs> but, um, yes. The the other thing that I see them doing with um the way things are kind of going, taking other games' ideas in, into account, um, I think it's Konami with um, their Yu-Gi-Oh card game tournaments is actually working on a deck builder app where if it 
works properly, you can submit your deck list to the event as your official deck list. And then they have it digitally recorded and they can check your list anytime that they want. Whereas bringing paper lists and submitting it through a third party and all this other stuff, a lot of stuff can get lost in translation. Like if you accidentally play four units of mech guns instead of three, Mm. or you accidentally give someone the wrong piece of equipment, like, yeah, all those little things can easily be accounted for in if they're able to actually get their list builder app to read correctly. Well, I'm kind of excited because it's sometimes, you know, you look at some of these other games and you look at it go like, well, I really don't know what some of this means. So I, I think they kind of realize giving away the point values, you're not giving away the entire game. You still have to understand what, you know, WS2 plus means and all that stuff to play the game. But, mm-hmm. um, and then we're getting close. We're getting finally a little closer to this idea of a like electronic subscription model. And um, so we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm excited for that part. So, oh yeah, it's going to be great to just be able to go. All right, I need to update my app. All right, my army went down by 20 points. I can now afford heavy stubbers, or it went up by 200 points. I need to like <laughs> drop something. Yeah, drop something fast. So no, I'm pretty excited about that. One thing I'm a little worried about is. Um, as a tournament organizer, I did get all those codes. I still haven't got my Tiernet code yet. So I'm like, I'm not sure who to contact about that. So I'm still kind of muddling in the dark about um, that book. So anyway, someday. And then last but not least from the reveal, a season two of Angels of Death called Angels of Death Origins and a whole bunch of uh, backstories and flashbacks of your favorite characters from the uh, Gritty Noir and Blood uh, series uh, from Warhammer Plus. So at first I was like, oh, that was awesome because it was pretty much the only series that's delivered <laughs> what it promised. Um, mm-hmm. It's been, don't get me wrong, Exodite was really good. Interrogator, to look so far, we're two episodes in, is off to a good start. It is so frustrating to get an 11-minute episode every other week when you're trying to follow a narrative storyline. It's just like, oh. Yep, that's honestly why I I kind of forgot about the actual Warhammer TV bit. I'm just like, oh, okay. I pay for having access to my rules. Whoop-dee-doo. Yeah, there's a lot more that could be done with that. And um, I've just been brainstorming a lot. That's enough for another episode, and it'll be coming up soon. But... um, it's, I think, the hardest part for me. I, I just don't know on the business side of things. How much money does Games Workshop make off a of White Dwarf? <laughs> uh, that one? That's a big swingy question, because it depends on what's in the White Dwarf, because obviously sometimes they put rules in there. Those ones sell like hotcakes. Right. So the original, I know from Days of Yore, when I applied to be a trade salesperson, the whole reason for the White Dwarf was to, it was Games Workshop's way of baiting customers into a friendly game store. 
And that's, you know, basically there's a reason for them to shop. And this is why you want to carry White Dwarf, because our fans will come to your store at least once a month to buy something. Mm-hmm. And when you take that away and replace it with something on Warhammer TV, will that have the same effect? And I, I'm curious if that if they're willing to do that, because... Um, there's a lot of things you could do differently with war, like basically all these cinematic trailers that they're doing, put those up on Warhammer plus. And then this is, these are the new rules. This is the lore. This is everything you want to get. And Oh, by the way, the rules will be out later today, you know, in this format. Yeah. So it's at that point, um, they may have to consolidate, something with um white dwarf to get it as a potential sales target like um like a model or or something that lets people be actually physically invested in the game or heck even just collector cards like how they do like how they were doing the collector's coins over the last year or so as factions came out and whatnot yeah, something like that. I don't know. I haven't quite fully fleshed it out my brain yet, just yet. But um, I have to say I'm not a fan of the Loremaster uh, series, simply because I feel like I'm being mansplained what's already in my codex. Like, I'm, if, if you're going to show a uh, a show about lore, I, I want you to go deep, because I don't have the time to read a uh, Black Library book. You know, I, I want to, if I'm going to watch this for 20 minutes, I want to walk away with that's something I did not know. And instead I just get a rehash of the eight minute synopsis version and a lot of artwork I've seen before. It's almost like, uh, okay. So it's not my favorite show. Well, if I may it real could quick, be awesome. um, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, so I, I'm someone who's read a lot of the black library books. So, I mean, hundreds of hours, worth of reading. When it comes to the codexes, I can't read more than a page or two before I just kind of stop being able to really pay attention to the words on the page. Uh, So sometimes they talk about the stuff that gets brought up just in those pages. It's kind of useful for someone who can't sit and just read the fluff part of the the codexes. That being said, I, I can understand if you already really know a lot of what's going on. It feels like why am I even watching this? But yeah, for the others, like the the one the one bit of lore that is coming out in codexes that actually interests me is when something new is made. So, for instance, um, if no one caught it initially, there was a new in a new infernal household made for chaos knights that did not exist at all. Period. And that's House Corvax. House Corvax is legitimately House Raven. Hmm. See? Bel- that would have been cool. <laughs> uh, apparently, the, the synopsis of the lore is Bellacor went, hey, that planet's cool. Grabbed it, put it in the warp, and bada bing, bada boo, you're now House Corvax. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they and, really and, need and to explain that more. Because... The last time we see anything for House Raven and the planet, the planet they're on, Molek, is around the. They're being attacked by a, a force of 
the 16th and 14th legions. And Fulgrim just kind of happens to, to make one or some of the knights kind of go crazy. And that's basically where they leave you off. So there's well, a big gap. Once I there. get my copy of once I get my copy of the codex, I will probably read it and I can give you an answer. <laughs> so so those are some things I'd love to see. That'd be really cool. But um, anyway, so overall, uh, some things to look forward to. Some things still keep us uh, guessing a little bit for the future. Uh, but the long and short of this, we're, we're glued to the tube and we will continue to watch and learn. And um, by the way, all you AOS fans out there, we're not ignoring you. Um, actually, I need your help. Can you explain to me what the heck your reveal was about? I was thoroughly confused. <laughs> it was, that was the most bizarre thing in the world with the Cities of Sigmar. It's a new book that we're going to change. And, but it really didn't describe what the heck they're going to do. I was like, what? <laughs> it was the weirdest reveal I've ever seen. My, my opinion is if it's not ogre shaped, I don't care. Yeah, uh, it was bizarre. But so there is yep, this new ogre, Ogrid Theron, Theradons. So they have a new character there. They got a new uh, elf uh, vampire, which will be converted into archons by Drukari players across the world. Uh, the General's Handbook. So they're getting their new season as well for competitive play. New Sylvaneth models. Um, trying to convert them into some sort of Drukari Inari looking thing. All really cool stuff, but yeah, the Cities of Sigmar update was the most bizarre thing I'd ever heard. And yes, yeah, squats are actually in Necromunda, but they are not League of Votan. Okay. But I, I think we get to get to the meat of our show, and we get to talk about who won the Seattle Open. Let's talk about the Seattle Open, the actual playing of the Seattle Open. So, uh, Robert, where do you want to start with that? Well, I think we should just overall start with um, the tremendous showing that a lot of people did because it was eight rounds. And after the first four rounds, they split you into pods. So that way, while you're playing, you are playing with people that are technically of equal skill level as you. At least, I hope so. And then you play your last four rounds, and all you have to worry about is winning your pod instead of winning the entire event. Which, in my experience, I haven't done anything with pods in any competitive sort. I am used to going the full twelve, like the full mile of, I'm going to fight tooth and nail for everything that I can get. Yeah, it's a little... I mean, the the original idea came from Nova years ago. And I I mean, years ago, like 5th edition. And it was a great way for the folks in the mid-table obscurity range to give them something to fight for. You know, it's it's really... Because there's always that, okay, I went 1 and 2 on day 1. I could go 3 and 0. That puts me at 4 and 2. I could get a couple points there. But when you're in an event of... 300, 400 players, you're just kind of lost in the sea at that point. What this gave you is on day two, all right, day one didn't go my way, but I'm going to go against, I'm going to have three games against three players that had 
a similar day that I did, and I may even walk out with a little trophy. And I've been to, well, I've been to Nova three times, and then back in the day, the 11th Company GT, we used to run it that way as well. So I've done five events that done this pod system. And it does kind of give you a little bit of a, hey, I'll stick around for day two. I will I actually win something. You know, it's not quite a participation trophy. I wouldn't say that. You still have to win your pod, but it still keeps it going. Um, the issue at hand is, uh, which was brought up throughout the weekend, first of all, <laughs> it sucks to miss the top pod because then no matter how well you do on day two, you're not going to win the event. And uh, so we're going to put our cards on the table for this one. Our teammate, Ben Jurek, had an incredible run going 4-0 on day one. I believe that no, take that back. Did he, he, no, he went um three he went three and one because in round four he played against it was either round three or round four he played against Harlequins, and that's when the the orc couldn't carry f- far enough and the Harlequins took it from him. So long story short, he missed the top sixteen of the top by a point <laughs> and um got so basically, he was shut out from winning the event. And he's not the only one, by the way. Uh, Ryan Lynn, who we do not know, uh, with High Fleet Kraken, also went 4-0. And, um, and actually was tied with him, 376 battle points by the uh, after four games. And um, also missed out, uh, making it to the top 16. So the best they could do is they were now fighting for 17th place. Now, some folks on the internet were kind of like, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Britney Spears dance video game that you will spend hours and hours banging out your knee cartilage, dancing to those annoying songs, and the best you can be is a backup dancer to Britney Spears. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, 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 a interesting way to go about an event. There are a lot of benefits, like the fact that, okay, you went two and two on day one you are going to be paired with other people that went two and two or three and one or in odd cases of odd numbers, one and four. So at one and three. So at that point you are going to be playing people that you would normally be playing against and not have some magical lineup of, okay, you somehow went four and oh with a whole bunch of hot die rolls. You're now playing against, John Lennon, Richard Siegler, uh, Mark Perry, um, Alex McDougal, Sean Naden, like all of them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, are you going? You have to run the gauntlet of beating the entire Art of War team. You know, so there's something to be said for that. Like, for example, a gentleman who finished 16th place. You look at that, and uh, Del Devillers playing Death Watch. He went zero uh, four on the second day. Oh wow! He he really easy. The Icarus who flew too close to the sun. Well, I don't think so because you go into he lost to Jamie Beaton, Noah Bedham, um, Brian Jones, and Dalton Rupert. So all the other guys in the sixteen. So everyone else who was doing just as well as he did uh, also were four zero on day one. So that was the the top of the top. So. You have to run the gauntlet and get through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes it can cause a feel bad because of the fact that like, let's say between myself, 
you, Eric, and Ray, let's say the three of us, we all ended up with the same record at round three. We're all three and oh. Well, what terrible tournament is this? <laughs> but anyway, keep going. <laughs> um, it's one that Ray could actually make it to. That's a good point. <laughs> um, but the at some point, there is a chance that the three of us for round four could potentially be paired into someone else out of the three of us. So at that point, one of us is going four and oh. One of us is definitely going three and one. So that instantly shoves them into two completely separate um, pods. Mm -hmm. And whoever went three and one, oh, they won all four. They won like three or either three of or all four of their games in their pod. Whereas the guy who went four on on day one got his face smashed in and only won one game. How is that any different? Well, ranking wise, right. So then I looked at, all right, let's take a look at how LVO did things. Well, first of all, was there a feel bad? Absolutely. Sean Naden's incredible streak of appearing in five straight uh, cutoffs was brutally stopped because he went 4-0 in one or something or five. Basically, he missed it by tying a game. Uh, he didn't even lose a game leading into it. So he missed the shadow round. And by the way, the shadow round is just to further eliminate the undefeated guys so you get to an even number of 16 players. Now, the thing they do differently than at the Seattle event is uh, if you lose in the t- Sweet 16, you're done. You, you don't keep playing. You don't just, you can't, do, you're not continuing the Swiss pairings of uh, within the group of 16. Once you're out, you're out. So, that way, and I guess one of the points that comes up a lot is nothing's more infuriating that if you're on top table and lose, there's a chance that the guys on table two leapfrog both leapfrog you, and then you end up finishing in fourth after. I was like, I just lost to Siegler by like five points. How did I come in fourth? So where with this elimination system that LVO has, I'm guaranteed second because I made it to the table. Yeah, it's it is definitely a different environment to put it bluntly. The, um, the pros is that <clears throat> after day two, if you knew you did bad on day one, you literally get to just show up to day two and have fun and only worrying, only worry about paying, playing your people. So your section of mid table warriors, um, the, the feel bad though is, in in the point in time that the stars align and you're just like here's a hundred here's a hundred here's a 97 here's a 98 and then game five you go here is a 96 and then round six happens and you get a 45 you're you're no longer in contention to win the event but those last two people that you're going to be playing are going to be extremely high scoring like you were. And it's not going to be worth it because there's no way you're going to come back and win the event. So going way back and forth between these systems, you know, the good and the bad, the ugly and all that. And I thought of this and I, I purposely cut it off there because I wanted to bring it up for discussion. Not too long ago, and because that's 
you know, this this potting system has been around, like I said, since fifth edition at least, maybe before that. But more recently, we had that uh, tanking scenario, and we all changed as TOs our pairing system, where you are paired with randomly within your win group. So, for example, if I'm it's day one, we had three games. Round four on day two, all the players that are three and zero will be paired against each other. You just will be random as opposed to first versus second, third versus fourth. So, in a sense, haven't we already been potting all along? It's definitely a interesting thought process because if if that system maintains of going here's all of the three and O people, here's all of the two and one, one and two, oh and three, all of that stuff, that's more that's more of a like a general separation. And yeah, it could be technically qualified as potting. But it's a, hey, we're looking at your win record instead of how many points you scored. Because, like, for instance, um, poor Ben losing out of top 16 by a single point. Um, at that point, he would have been a 3-in-1 person paired into other 3-in-1 people. And if he moved up... By winning his next game, he would be paired into another four and one person, or potentially even potentially even a five and zero person, if there was an odd number of five and zero people. Yep. So there's there's some again pros and cons of doing it both ways. Yeah, as I was thinking of that, the pool, the striations get smaller and smaller as each round goes through because there's going to be there's a lot fewer, or it's going to be half as many uh, 4-0 players as there were 3-0 players, and then half as many 5-0 players as 4. So the pairings, even though they're random, they're going to, the pool gets smaller and smaller as you go along, which is a little different from the pod system. So, Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I know in my time of doing card games, it's been a, you're, you're pushing up and down on the pairing system, is essentially tied to is some imaginary algorithm that is tied two players together. Because I've watched people get slingshot up from nowhere because the person that they played round one has gone undefeated the entire event, so they're getting dragged up in the pairings. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that person loses and they win their game, they're only going up like one spot. One spot. Like it's the the weird tiebreaker systems that you see sometimes, right? Just headaches. Yeah, and that's if I if I remember right, Magic used a uh, modified uh, Elo system, and that's the problem is is your Elo is based on how well your opponent does, and if your opponent all of a sudden just tanks it, <laughs> all those bonus points you got for beating somebody good, well, he wasn't that good after all. Huh? Okay, so there's different. Yeah, that's a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, but um. Until I actually experience the potting system for myself, which would mean going to a GW open event, which I would go for funsies. I would take my chaos knights and be like, I have a really pretty army. No one can tell me different. <laughs> um, and then experiencing it myself going like, 
Oh, yeah, no, like two and two. And then get paired against the people. That's the one thing I do want to do before going to a GW event is um, build some of the terrain the way they set it up there so I can get some practice because it is very different from any other format that we've seen on the competitive circuit with these four 12-inch blocks that are pretty much in each table quarter. Hmm. Yeah, that would have to be like a hard practice for a lot of people because it's very different than player plays terrain. Right. Where you Absolutely. can have a you can have a, a nine like a, a nine by six by five L and go, yep. This is right here. I can hide most of my army behind it. Or you look at it and go, I have a twelve by twelve brick. Yep. But it's only six inches high. So again, back to what you were saying earlier about Knigets, um, there's nowhere to hide. I mean, I mean, at this point, I'm like, all right, cool. I have four big stompy robots. You're not, unless you have like really, really good anti-tank at long range, AKA hammerheads. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're not going to kill all of my knights in a single turn. So my tyrant's going to shoot his volcano lance at something. Right. Anyway, so the top 16, we've been kind of beating around this, the, from this year's Seattle open, uh, 16th place, uh, Daryl DeVeers with Death Watch. Uh, 15th place, Noah Bedone with Tau Sept. Uh, 14th place, Ian Harris with Iron Warriors. 13th place, Nicholas Olson Johnson with Harlequins. 12th place, Ben Cromwell with Necrons. 11th place, Matt Johansson with Harlequins. 10th place, Marshall Peterson with Blood Axes. Uh, ninth place, Jamie Benton with High Fleet Kraken. Uh, eighth place, uh, taking some time off from Good Morning America, Robin Roberts with Gene Steeler Cult. Never would have expected her to play that. Okay. Uh, seventh place, uh, Walter O'Donnell with Chaos. Sixth place, Hank Adams. I, I said that completely wrong. It's going to be Hank Adams with Ulthway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hank. It just, just, just reams that way. Uh, third, where am I at? Fifth place, Hogan Franklin with High Fleet Leviathan. Fourth place, Alex McDougal with Tyranids. Surprise, surprise. Third place, Stephen Trimble with Tyranids. Second place, Tyler Botel with Tyranids. And your winner with High Fleet Kraken. And from the Art of War, John Lennon going 4 0 and 8 0 total on the weekend. Yep. It's definitely showing that Tyranids are, in fact, the new top dog army. If you can kill Tyranids, you can almost kill anything else. Yeah, good luck with that, because uh, there's a lot of T8 <laughs> with a hot, good armor save in that army. And like you said, the mortal wound output is disgusting. Yeah, but that's also why I'm probably just going to play for fun. If I get paired into Tyranids, I'm going to be like, alright, cool. Where's your flying hive tyrant? There he is. Volcano Lance. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if I if you fail, you're in vulnerable saves because that thing is minimum nine damage, right, per wound. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely I, I definitely have uh, retuned my list with that in mind. Basically, uh... <laughs> okay, where, where's your malice scepter? <laughs> These things jump on it, <laughs> kill it. <laughs> Don't come back until mm. it's dead. But no, it, it's I am. Congrats to Mister Lennon for winning it. It shows a lot that he ended up happening to play at least two or three Tyranids lists throughout. Yeah, round seven was against 
Tyranids. Round seven was against Tyranids. Round six was against Tyranids. And round five to start his day was against Necrons. <laughs> so he had to chew through three other Tyranids lists to actually come out on top of this. Crazy stuff. As mentioned, our buddy Jim Benjurik in the winning bracket two. Uh, Sal Kirkman with Tyranids uh, beat a one bracket three. This idea of going through all the brackets really sounded good in pre-show. Uh, Jordan Shore <laughs> with Grey Knights uh, did <laughs> one bracket four. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you've kind of lost me on what bracket is what, because there was 211 people that entered the U.S. Open, and I have no way of determining what bracket is what. <laughs> yeah, bracket five was Anthony Villeneuve-Oeva with High Fleet Kronos, but uh, as I'm pointing out is, as even we're getting now into the uh, mid-table obscurity, for example, we're in bracket five. So High Fleet Kronos, Thousand Suns, Dark Angels, Astro Militarum, Imperial Knights, Grey Knights, Catagen Jungle Fighters, Good Grief, Goths, Custodes, Tyranids, Ultramarines, Kidding Shock Troops, and Drukhari. We're, we're in there. Wow. Somewhere. Yep. <laughs> Gareth Hunt won bracket six, and that was it. So that's your uh, the rest of the pairings from that particular event. Yeah, so maybe I'll plan for a single GW event next year. But otherwise, um, yeah, no, you'll be hard-pressed to get me to go out to these things if Tyranids continue being a problem. <laughs> yeah, I guess I really should paint my really fast <laughs> <laughs> true thanks. you do have them thanks ray appreciate that <laughs> hey listeners this is raymond with the extreme honest podcast here to talk to you about kr cases if you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies then look no further than kr cases that's right this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases they're great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament you can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. But yes, um, otherwise, what other events are we going to be brushing over today, Eric? Because you mentioned something in Denmark. Yep, so it's the Baltic Cup in Denmark. All right, so <laughs> Baltic Cup Kiel, number eight. Gotta love these names. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we will just do the top five here. Um, we have Pascal Penicky with Tyranids, Fred Ojo with Harlequins, Caillou Orayana with Tyranids, Manuel Wixerek with Blood Angels, and Fitzpeters with High Fleet Leviathan. We can continue our tradition here of making the new guy read the foreign events. So good job. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's Denmark. The names are close enough to German that I hopefully got them right. And the thing that I actually noticed is um, it looked like they were doing differential scoring. I was trying to figure that out. And that, that, that's what it was. Okay. I was like, that's so odd. Yeah. Because yeah, 2020, 15, 2018. So differential is still coming back. 
much stronger than what I thought it would be because of the fact that people really like that scoring, apparently. Yeah, I'm still on the fence about it. So I like it for team. I'm not sure if I like it for individual just because it encourages beating the crap out of your opponent. So, uh, Right, and what other event? Uh, Glasshammer GT from St. George's, England. Ooh. Yes. Good old Glasshammer. These boys are usually busy doing stuff. And so, again, just touching the top five here, we have Mark Waz Harrison with Tyranids, Janice China with Tyranids, Sam Nash with Custodes. I'm going to have to look at that list later. Um, Aaron Mosquera with Tyranids, and Vic Vijay winning with Asuriani. Yeah, he's kind of sneaking up on the uh, standings. Uh, Manny Chima is the one we think about when it comes to England, but. Uh... Vic Vijay is not too far behind as he's starting to accumulate some more events under his belt. Next event is uh, Garage Hammer and Bonfire from Lapton, Michigan. All right. So um, this one is actually interesting because when I look at the title, it's Garage Hammer and the Bonfire RTT. So did they do like the weird like splitting... Splitting of event things? You know, I think they just called it an RTT. I'm going to double check it, but it seemed like it had five events for its winners. So I was like, oh. Yep. It did, in fact, have five rounds for everyone that stayed long enough because it looked like it was also a sleepover. Um, <laughs> oh, I, saw, I, I saw a mention of pillows in the event description. So it was like, yeah, sleepover. Uh, but anyway, top five. <laughs> So each got a mud mask, by the way, <laughs> and and a and a Cosmo, and yeah. No, anyway, um, so starting with the top five, we have Jenna Johnson with Drukari in fifth place. We have Shane Benjamin with Salamanders, ooh, spooky green marines. Mm-hmm. Um, Can't And then, and then, um, third place, second place, and first place are all Tau. But third place is Cordial Dubkey. Second place is Robbie Griffin. And first place is Brenton Weiss. Wow. The last event of the weekend of note, uh, Hero Complex Games in Wichita, Kansas. All right. So, Wichita, Kansas. So, again, just top five here. We have Isaiah Norton. Well, Isaiah Norton with Black Templars. So this is where all the flying monkey guys went. <laughs> um, in fourth place, we have Logan Newsman, uh, Newson with Tau. Third place, we have Chris Taggart with Deathwing. You gotta say it right, Chris Taggart. <laughs> ah man, I don't got that bad of a draw. <laughs> um, second place, we have Casey Zimmerman with Custodes, and first place, we have Matt Neely with Tau Empire. A whole bunch of flying monkeys. Wow. Although, applaud on Chris Taggart, though. Team Spankies. That's why we don't read the team names on the air. Okay. (laughs) Um, His record is really interesting, though, because he came in third place with a single draw at 92 and a single loss. Interesting. So, let's see. What did he get paired into round one? Um, Jason Mode? He got paired in Yep. I saw Cult of Duplicity. That guy has three Helberts. 
Really? <laughs> yep, three Hellbrutes, uh, a Brick of Ten Terminators, five Chaos Spawn, Zangors, some Rubric Marines, a Demon Prince, Armon, Exalted Sorcerer, and another Sorcerer. It's kind of an out there list. Hey, he's big brain enough to play it, I guess. <laughs> That's some crazy stuff. All right. Any other events you would like to touch on here? Event-wise, we are done. So I just want to go over your ITC top 10. Uh, We have a new 10th place person in Joseph Gillespie knocking out Stephen Rice. Uh, So Tau player out of the top 10. Nid player reinserted. Marcus Hinson drops one spot. Excuse me, stays put away in the ninth spot with a Suriani. Ben Jones drops a spot, also playing a Suriani. Ryan Snyder dropped one spot, still playing Custodes. Brenton Weiss uh, jumped up two spots with his Tau, and then the top five remains unchanged with Ennis Wilson playing Nids in fifth, Mike Porter playing Quins in fourth, uh, Thomas Ogden playing Tau in third, Matt Robertson playing Nids and or Quins, depends which way the wind blows, and uh, Manny Chima playing whatever he has readily available, and we love him for that. Still your leader as we enter the end of the Nachmund season. Yep. So it is definitely going to be an interesting later season for the fact that we get all new missions. We get potentially drastic changes to secondaries. And also people are going to be walking in with pocket change rather than a full paycheck. More ways than one. That's right. But um, yes, otherwise um, on the on our Facebook page, I'll probably be posting more actively on the hobby progress of said chaos nights. Cause maybe it'll be like a podcast themed army. I don't know. Hmm. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be the army that I show up with. Like, yeah, no, I'm the extremist exterminos podcast guy, blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. And thought, all this other stuff. I thought you're going to have, this is Ray the night. This is Robert the night. <laughs> No, 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 no. What are we doing? (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not that creative unless for some reason I decided to add witches, a witch, a rack, a cobblelite warrior, and matching characters to one of their bases as trophies. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. I was was, going to say it actually works out pretty well. You you probably end up with, if you count the main main cast, you probably delete this Eric out of the podcast. You, <laughs> but there's you, there's Eric, there's me, there's Don. Let's call it the big four of the podcast. Each one of us does technically kind of but either way for one of the chaos gods. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, I'll be posting up photos there of that, and I have a trip planned out to at the Atlantic City Open, so you'll be able to see me and my blue custodes out there again. I'm very jealous you're going there. My old stomping grounds. So, well, I'm going with our friend Mark Whitaker. So, those are his old stomping grounds too. Yep. So, I'm going to be a lost little puppy out there going. I have no idea where anything is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, like I say, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of a, a more manageable Las Vegas. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yep. All right, Ray. Any parting thoughts? Uh, with the new. Nights coming out all this weekend for the most part. 
just uh, don't be too surprised if you start seeing some heavy hitters and lists start showing up. You know, you got like Hellblasters, uh, Eradicators, some of that. So, if you're one of those armies who doesn't use a lot of vehicles, but you're good at taking out units, maybe be prepared for some of that stuff. Indeed. Anti-vehicle may be a thing. So, Robert, anything else to add? Well, speaking of Chaos Knights, though, the, um, the compatible the competitive viability of both chaos and loyalist knights. I have honestly flipped my coin a little bit because I thought they were just going to struggle with the fact that, Oh, they don't hide in terrain and all this other stuff. But when you realize exactly how effective armagers are still going to be, uh, yeah. Expect to see a whole bunch of armagers and like two big stompies. It's going to be a fun time for the night player and not such a fun time for other people. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So my question to you guys, uh, the only way to get Eldar Corsairs currently is through the kills, the kill team box set, correct? Yes. Okay. So I saw something in a competitive list. Um, apparently there's a, if you take the elite version of the Corsairs, they get a Psyker and they have a special spell that on a 5+, plus, you get an extra command point. So in lieu of these news of losing half your command points that you're normally used to at the start of the game, I may need to find a way to splash that unit into my army moving forward. Well, I, I would wait to see the, how the actual command point rule changes before you do anything crazy. What? Why would I stop? <laughs> I don't know. You're just an archon. Ah, <sighs> No hobby like must be ready in time. Anyways, <laughs> any, any suggestions you guys have, check it out on our Facebook page as well as Robert's Hobby Progress. We'll be back next week with more of the tournament action. Until then, my name's Eric. And I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast.